Yeah, family is really like the one thing that all of us Christians and non-Christians have in common. Like, yeah, whether or not people are still in touch with their family or not, you, everyone came from one. Everyone has parents. And it's one thing that yeah, as humans we all have in common. And I think if we were able to move more into that family space, it would also be a great space for evangelization. Because, um, yeah. It's something that everyone has. <laughs>Welcome to this special episode of The Myth Pilgrim where my friend and I, a guest here I'll introduce very shortly, will be exploring a film that I grew up, uh, kind of a, another movie musical that I grew up watching alongside with The Sound of Music and um, Judy Judy Bang Bang, Annie. Um, Annie's probably not unfamiliar to some of you, I kind of, there's been like five movie adaptations I think, um, a stage musical, um, but so what happened was how this, this episode came about was I was, I can't remember, we were, Karen and I were just doing some prayer ministry at the end of an Alpha course and somehow I started singing, the sun will come out tomorrow. And then Karen joined in and I'm like, oh, someone else actually knows this obscure reference. And then we got talking about this potential episode. So here we are, Karen and I are finally recording an episode on Annie. So welcome Karen to The Myth Pilgrim. Thanks Lawrence. I'm excited to be here and didn't expect to make it onto the podcast, but I was really excited um, to be talking about Annie because it was one of my favourites growing up. Yeah. Hmm. How did you, well, like, when was the first time you, do you remember, came across Annie? Uh, yeah, so my sister put it on for me, probably I was like nine or ten, and we recorded it on a, like a VHS video from the TV, and I used to watch it all the time. And then my sister actually recorded it onto a, one of those little tapes for me, like a tape recorder from the TV. And then I used to listen to it in my Walkman. So um, that's going back a little bit. But uh, yeah, that's how much I liked it when I was little. Mm, did you know the songs like Back to Front like I did? Yes, but it was the version, I think it's like the second version, the Disney version, mm. not the original version. So when the other versions come on, I'm a little bit disappointed. Yeah, it's not right. how I like it. not the original. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I grew up with the 1982, the um, Eileen Quinn, I think. Um, she's kind of curly red hair, very mm. sweet. Um, yeah, that was sort of my... And when I see other versions, I'm like, no, that is not original. <laughs> Um, cool, so um, we've been chatting a little bit about not only our shared interest and love for Annie, but also your own experiences um, working, I guess, working or ministering, journeying with children. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about what you do currently at the moment? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I work as an occupational therapist, um, aside from working at the parish, and I work with children that have a disability. A lot of them are on the autism spectrum, but there's also a range of other disabilities that I work with. And 
I work with them on a range of different goals and difficulties that they're having from social skills to emotional regulation skills to different types of motor problems and different um, self-care problems like going to the toilet or getting dressed and brushing their teeth and stuff like that. Mm. A lot of working with families and teachers to help the kids as well. Mm, beautiful. Mm. So Karen, one of the reasons why I thought this would be a really good episode to do with you is precisely because in Annie there's that theme of, I guess, a child who's disadvantaged. There's certainly a, a parent, a family sort of theme, this yearning for recognition, you know, possibilities kind of. But for the sake of our listeners who may be unfamiliar with the story, let's have a go at, um, let's tell the story of Annie just to refresh everyone's memory. Let's see how we go with that. Okay. So start to that. Annie is an orphan in an orphanage, I think it's in New York somewhere, and she's singing a song at the start uh, that's really this song of hope where she's dreaming about what her parents might be like. Um, Yeah, so she has this uh, hope that her parents are out there still because when they left her at the orphanage, they left her with this locket and said they have the other half of the locket and they'll come back one day and collect her. And the orphanage isn't a very nice place. The lady who runs it, Miss Hannigan, uh, is basically just in it for the money. And so she's really awful to the orphans. Uh, but Annie somehow has this great sense of like camaraderie between all the orphans. Uh, she really helps them out, kind of defends them and makes them smile kind of thing. And then what happens is there's this rich um, tycoon in America called Mr. Warbucks. Um, Danny Warbucks, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he, for public image sake, he sends his, um, I guess, his secretary, um, Grace, to find a random orphan so that this orphan could spend some time in the manor, take some photographs, and make him look good. Oh, look, you know, he's a real philanthropist. He cares for the the poor and the oppressed, sort of thing. Um, so Annie, long story cut short, Annie gets picked <laughs> by Providence and invited to this manor. And initially, Mr. Warbucks hates. <laughs> Annie even just really wants to use her for his own gains, but Annie's charm eventually slowly um, erodes away at, at Mr. Warbucks's sort of money-mindedness and kind of softens it up and brings out sort of a father figure in him. But then he's thinking of, he starts to love her so much he wants to adopt her, but then Annie stops him because... She has the hope that her parents are out there still. And so he decides to like send out this whole um, search party type thing to find um, her parents and offers a huge um, monetary reward if her parents come forward. And so basically all these fake people come forward uh, wanting to get the money, including uh, some people from the orphanage where she used to live, kind of try and go back there using the information they know about her from the orphanage to try and adopt her so they can get all the money which they succeed with. And then they end up like, they're just planning to, I don't know if they're gonna kill her or do something not really good with her. And they end up like on this kind of wild chase where they're chasing her up this bridge and then the police come and then she basically ends up getting saved. And then she ends up going back to um, Mr. Warbucks's house, which by the way, I just remembered it's Oliver Warbucks. Oh, not known Danny as, Warbucks. Known as Daddy Warbucks. Oh, Daddy Warbucks. <laughs> that's why. That's right. Yeah. Daddy, Daddy. Yeah. Yep, that's but, cool. Yeah, yep. she ends up being adopted by Mr. Warbucks and they live happily ever after mm. together, we assume. Yes, we assume. And then mm-hmm. um, 
along the way as well, um, in, in terms of, uh, I guess, Annie bringing about the, the paternal love of um, Oliver, of Oliver Warbucks, um, he realises he also has um, a real connection with his secretary, um, Grace, and so I guess they end up married or they are, they start you know, yeah. realising that, you know, there's a mother, father, um, daughter kind of in this beautiful manner and in the final sort of scene all the orphans that Annie grew up with ended up coming to the big celebration and mm -hmm. yeah so it's, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful ending to a, um, a very heartfelt story. Um, so one of the first discussions we had Kaz about the movie was um, this idea of um, sure, the movie is about an orphan, you know, like a biological orphan yearning for their parents, but um, maybe one of the reasons why this film has been so timeless and there's been so many versions made of it is it taps into something about all of us. We're actually all, in some ways, orphans yearning for adoption, you know, yearning for this place of acceptance and love, like a family. So I wonder from a spiritual perspective, is there any significance there, do you think? In Annie, right, she's... It's like she really holds on tight to this hope that her parents are out there, that she has people coming back and kind of like this family will be reunited. And then when she finds out her parents aren't there, she's uh, really able to embrace a new family, right, with Mr Warbucks. And, yeah, that whole, like, yearning and hope for family, like, even though I have a great family um, here on Earth with me, I can definitely um, relate to that yearning to be um, connected with the Heavenly Father. And something that I've been thinking about and kind of experiencing lately is like this deepening in real, the realization of that and the realization that, yeah, I'm made yeah, for this relationship with the Father that I don't have. But like, yeah, here on earth, God does give us relationships um, with people that can lead us closer to him still and um yeah I think for me personally uh, my I lost my dad when I was fairly young and I always kind of thought like okay now I can like connect with God and um yeah in a, in one sense it drew me closer to God which is probably true but lately I've had this kind of experience of um getting to have lots of father figures in my life and really, really being able to appreciate the way um, I'm drawn towards father figures and how those can draw me closer to God as well. Mm. I've also um, been struck how even our earthly mum and mum and dad, that they are in the end still but a symbol and an icon of my heavenly family, of my heavenly parents, you know, especially the way Jesus reveals God as father. And that in some ways, um, my yearning, even though I'm not a biological orphan, spiritually, I'm still an orphan um, yearning for a sense of complete belonging and, and security that can only be met by um, the family that Christ has enabled us to be part of. One of the things that struck me when I rewatched Annie uh, in preparation for this episode was um, Mr. Warbox at the beginning didn't recognise that almost this insatiable desire within him to be a father and to be so protective and, and kind of providing as a father until he randomly or providentially had a chance to be a father. 
And I wonder, you know, in, in our Catholic spirituality, we talk so much about the family being um, central to our calling as men and women. I just wonder if there's other Mr. Warboxes kind of floating around who don't recognize, um, or because of our wounding, we don't, we kind of aren't in touch with that yearning to be um, like a mum and dad. Uh, yeah, exactly like that. Like when when Annie showed up on Mr. Warbucks's doorstep, yeah, he had no intention at all of being a parent or a husband. He totally thought that he was just happy um, being a billionaire until he, he had that profound experience of um, Annie. And it's like that awakened something in him and he saw himself completely differently. Uh, he was willing to completely yeah, change his life, become not only a father but a husband. Um, yeah, once yeah, he had that almost that lived experience. Yeah, yeah, and I definitely agree that potentially, like a lot of people out there, um, yeah, maybe have these desires within them that um, are yet to be awakened. Hmm. I wonder this, uh, how would I ask this question? Like, I wonder what is it, how can we create a culture that really fosters and celebrates mm. um, parenthood and family? You know, we often talk about there's a lot of, you know, a lot of ministry and there's a lot of outreaches for youth, you know, and young adults. And, but we, we live in such a individualistic, you know, it's almost like me and my spirituality and how I can grow and how I can find healing. But I don't know, have you ever wondered about how do we, kind of embrace this culture of life and, and family and children. Mm. Uh, that's something that I've been thinking about a bit lately because, yeah, I realise that we have all these events going on and in one sense, if someone's part of a family, these events are asking them to leave their family at home <laughs> yes. and come to these events. Yeah. And, um, yeah, which is contradictory um, in some ways uh, to family life. Yeah, so, um, man, there's, I think there's capacity for us to really restructure ministries around families a lot more to provide so much more resources um, to families. I know, like, there's some schools out there uh, who really try and uh, um, include the whole family in education and, yeah, get parents in at the school and make it a whole family thing. Yeah, uh, the other thing that I was thinking is like, yeah, family is really like the one thing that all of us Christians and non-Christians have in common. Like, yeah, whether or not people are still in touch with their family or not, you, everyone came from one. Everyone has parents. And it's one thing that yeah, as humans we all have in common. And I think if we were able to move more into that family space, it would also be a great space for evangelization. Because, um, yeah, it's something that everyone has. I wonder, as you're in your role as an occupational therapist, has there been moments where you've started off a bit like the grumpy Mr. Warbucks, like, you know, this kid's just annoying, you know, um, but then there's been moments where you've had a real transformation and your heart's been expanded? Mm. Yeah, definitely. That's happened many times. Um, I think. Yeah, there's one particular boy I've known for four years and when I first used to see him he'd come into my office and he's got a uh, fairly severe autism 
So he'll come into my office and he doesn't talk much and what he'll do is he'll run to this shelf full of toys and he would have a few toys that he really likes and he'll like rummage through everything to find them and he'll like make a mess and then he would not let go of them like pretty much the whole session and he'll come into my um, like my office space and he would almost be like running around the office excited to have his toy and it was like just um, engaging him in therapy was so so hard and he would be quite loud and disruptive to like the rest of the office space sometimes or like running out and like having to go chasing after him yep. and um, I'd make small gains with him sometimes but it was like this difficult behaviour just went on and on and it was yeah there were so many yeah, reasons for me to feel um, yeah almost a bit of rejection or a bit of like um, wasting both of our times here like I was, yeah, not feeling like I'm doing a good job, like a bit um, unequipped. And then I remember one time his mum comes in and she tells him an, an instruction and he follows it immediately. And she says to him, like, put, he's throwing his, he walks into my office and he'll like throw his shoes off. And she goes, like, go put those shoes to, like over there nicely. And he'll like follow that instruction so perfectly. And I'm like, oh, his mum knows how to speak to him. like. How come he doesn't listen to me? Mm. And like that little bit of hope um, that, oh, he can actually follow instructions, like almost like powered um, my therapy relationship with him. And now like I have, he's one of my absolute favorite clients because I know how to, I learn how to communicate with him slowly. It's like this almost like learning of a new language of yeah, understanding him and him understanding me. And now, yeah, it's like he doesn't speak, barely speak still, but it's like mm. I can communicate with him just as well as I can communicate with anyone else. Mm. And because of that um, key of communication that I learned with him, yeah, it makes for like really fun sessions um, where, yeah, I'm able to help him, he's able to have fun, neither of us are frustrated and it's really enjoyable now. Mm. Another one is a, another boy uh, who's in grade two at the moment that I've been seeing for the last year or so. And yeah, he's just another uh, client that I found quite challenging to work with. And um, I didn't feel like I was um, being effective. And uh, the thing that made a difference and helped me to um, yeah, really embrace um, him and love seeing him was um, getting to work with a team around him so he has like speech therapists and psychologists and um, then he's got his parents his teachers other staff at the school and um, being able to um, approach his case as a team and um, really having the support of working in a team um, in this case was one that really um, yeah, switched away, switched around the way that I was able to approach um, the child. And um, yeah, just it's just such um, a different feeling um, walking out of a session when, when you figure out the thing you need to do your job well and the thing that you need to connect with the child. Like the, thing, the way that you feel walking out of the session is so much more um, like uplifted mm. than walking out feeling like, oh, 
I didn't connect with the family or the child and I didn't do my job well. It's like so deflating. Mm. It's kind of cool how, you know, you kind of go in as the occupational therapist, yet um, what you've experienced and witnessed in the children has actually shaped you as the adult and how you relate and engage with yourself and how you can um, yeah, relate with others. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, I encounter God a lot in my OT work. Um, and for me, one of the biggest ways is through the parents and uh, their love for their children and just uh, the way that they um, are massive advocates for their children, especially in this day and age where you would assume that anyone that has a child with Down syndrome chose uh, that child that they knew that they were going to have it. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah as well as um, multiple other disabilities, yeah. you know um, that it's highly likely that the parents I knew that the child was going to be born like this and that their love for them is, um, yeah, unwavered in that. And, yeah, that's just their life and they love doing that. Um, and it's very, very um, impactful um, and powerful to see that firsthand. Mm, beautiful. Mm. Annie is a very hopeful film. Like, not only Annie's kind of character but something about the film that's always pointing towards uh, a very very happy ending for everyone um, I wonder if you picked that up when you watched Annie yeah one thing that I was thinking about is how yeah Annie has this hope at the start that her parents are out there right and she she believes that they're out there and that this dream of hers this hope of hers will be fulfilled um, but then it turns out right that her parents have actually passed away we find out and so this thing that she's been hoping for um, it never eventuates, it doesn't happen, but it's actually fulfilled in a new way that she didn't expect, uh, that you know, Mr. Warbucks and the assistant adopt her. And yeah, I think that's um, a real experience of hope that a lot of us have, like, and we ha that we have these desires that, and we think we know how they'll be filled and we have this, thing that maybe we're praying for or we're hoping for um, and it's really specific and yeah often those things might not um, come true or really happen but God has a greater plan for us he has a different plan for us um, and it's one that's n no less than the thing that we'd hope for um, but only ever better mm. Wow, that's really beautiful. I haven't seen it that way. And I guess it's especially beautiful because Annie's, I guess you can say, her, it's her biggest hope, you know, that her parents would come back and find her. That's her, you know, the first song about maybe, the chord's called Maybe. She was yearning for her parents, wondering what they're doing. She didn't get that, so you think, oh, heartbreak, you know, game over. Mm -hmm. And then if God was in the story of Annie, um, something else happened that was even better for, not just for Annie, but for the whole orphanage and for Mr. Warbucks and Grace. So. Oh, Grace. Oh, God's hand at work. So it's just, yeah, it's, it is a very beautiful um, story in that sense. Um, and it is quite gospel centered in the providence of it all. So um, give Annie a rewatch, everyone. I think I might now after this episode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, thanks very much, Kaz, for um, sharing your heart um, and something of your childhood and also your work now and, um, yeah, your relationship with God with all of us. And, um, yeah, guess hopefully we'll see you again soon. Thanks Lawrence. Cool. Goodbye. Goodbye everyone. Take care. God bless. Bye bye.